heard the phrase, the, the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? It was actually first coined by a, uh, can you turn me down just a little bit, uh, by a Parisian journalist and social critic, uh, Jean-Baptiste Carr, in the century just after the French Revolution. And uh, what he meant by it when he wrote that was that, you know, even in the aftermath of all the upheaval in French society and, and uh, European politics that he's witnessed, that while a lot of things changed and big changes happened, the real life in a meaningful sense really hadn't changed that much at all. Uh, and the same, I think, is kind of true for us, right? Because even, uh, even though progress and technology and uh, things like that are growing by leaps and bounds, daily life at the bottom line is the same as it's always been, right? People, uh, people get born, they grow up, get jobs and go to work, they have to figure out what to have to eat for dinner, right? You guys have that battle in your house? Uh, and, and on and on, and, you know, all those same things went on in Jesus' time, too, inside the very real lives of very real people living out their daily routine. And we're going to see one of those uh, occasions today in our lectionary reading from the Gospel of Luke that takes up right where we left off last week in the lives of Jesus and his apostles. So I hope you have your Bibles with you. Uh, remember I told you the, the lectionary for this year has a big focus on the Gospel of Luke, so... Uh, we're going to be reading quite a bit from there, but today I'm going to be reading Luke chapter 4, verses 38 to 41. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the true and living God. And Luke writes, and, and he, meaning Jesus, arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. And now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. And now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of them, crying, You're the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to us today. Let's pray. God, our Father, uh, in your word... We know where all the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. And so we ask you to open our eyes uh, that we may see the wonders of it in these next fleeting moments that we have together by your Holy Spirit. Uh, empty our minds of preconceptions and distractions uh, and fill our hearts, Lord, with the gift of faith until we see Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. So a couple of people mentioned they were intrigued by the title of the sermon. Uh, you know, mother-in-laws, they, they tend to get a bad rap, don't they? And for whatever reason, they tend to be the source uh, of a lot of jokes, uh, like the guy that asked his, his buddy what his mother-in-law was like to get along with, and his friend said, well, I'll tell you, my mother-in-law has only ever visited us once, and she's really even-tempered. His buddy said, you mean to tell me you've been married for 10 years and your mother-in-law has only come to visit once? His friend said, that's right, she, she came the day after the wedding and she hasn't left since. <laughs> And, it, and his buddy looked kind of shocked, and he said, well, at least she's even-tempered. To which his friend said, oh, yeah, my mother's even-tempered, all right. She just stays mad all the time. And, I, and I've got a bunch more mother-in-law jokes I could share with you, but I won't this morning because I am so thankful for the good relationship I have with mine, and I would like to preserve that and keep it that way. Uh, Plus that it's far from the point of my sermon. But what I do want you to see from that, and the reason I wanted to make you laugh is so you remember, 
uh, from our scripture lesson this morning is that Peter had a mother-in-law, right? Which, which means that Peter had a wife and, and family obligations because there's no other way to get a mother-in-law without a wife, right? But the point is, if Peter had a wife, then that means Peter walked away from his family for long stretches of time to follow Jesus, which really tells us something about how Peter experienced Jesus' call to discipleship because if we assume that Peter loved his wife uh, and that he was committed to her and to his children, it would have taken something very unusual, something very powerful to pry him away from all of that for any length of time. Uh, and that something may possibly have started with the healing of his mother-in-law, uh, a woman who, uh, whose name, by the way, we don't know, but whose healing, I believe, had a profound effect on Peter and on his life of discipleship, because for Peter, this may possibly be where the early seeds of his faith were planted. Because uh, Scripture tells us, of course, that Peter's mother-in-law is sick. She's, she's got a fever. She's burning up, and, and now... Uh, from her sickbed, she hears in the other room that her son-in-law has showed up with some friends for dinner, and, and he didn't even bother to call ahead to let anybody know. And, and just when she starts wondering for the millionth time why her daughter hadn't married somebody rich like that nice young Matthew down at the tax collector's office, uh, Peter and Jesus just show up in her bedroom. And Jesus went straight to her bedside. And we're told he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately, she rose and began to serve them. There was no fuss, no hallelujahs. P Peter's mother-in-law just got to work preparing food for the evening meal, having made a complete and immediate recovery. And if you notice how complete that cure was, uh, that when the fever left her, it didn't leave her weak and exhausted. Like, I know you guys have all had fevers and, and the crud and Vicky had it, right? When the fever's gone, what happens? You're worn out, right? Uh, that's what usually happens when a high fever passes because, uh, because God did the healing, because God did it through Jesus. Uh, this didn't happen, right? Jesus was the one that came to heal her and strengthen her. So she was immediately ready to get up and be of service to the master. Same reason Isaiah 40 Verse 31 says, but they who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And that kind of waiting is not just sitting around idly waiting to be cured, but rather waiting like waiting on someone at a table and serving someone else who might be in greater need than you are. And that kind of selfless service to others is something that Jesus always modeled, wasn't it? He, he always had time for people. And we see that in today's story as well, because not only did Jesus, our great physician, make house calls, uh, but he keeps some pretty unusual doctor's hours too, doesn't he? Uh, his doctor's office doesn't close up for the weekend. Uh, because as we read, uh, this healing event took place right after they had all left the synagogue. And so it was, it was during the Sabbath, right? during God's sacred day of rest. And throughout the Gospels, as you're going to see as we go along, uh, many of the cures that Jesus offered... Uh, diseases that he healed, devils that he expelled was done on the Sabbath, which uh, caused more than a little upset from his critics. But if you think about it, it was only fitting that Jesus healed on this sacred day because a true Sabbath rest, the way God intended it in the beginning, not only means that we cease from physical work, but we cease from the worries of everyday life in order to take joy in the day that God has given us. Like we read in Isaiah 58, 
says, keep the Sabbath day holy. Uh, don't pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath. Speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath in everything that you do on that day, and don't follow your own desires or talk idly. And then the Lord will be your delight, and I'll give you great honor. Satisfy you with the inheritance I promised to your ancestor Jacob. I, the Lord, have spoken. And so you see, when Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, he brought her that kind of Sabbath rest. He brought her restoration to her body, and he gave her rest from uh, the weakness and from the pain caused by her fever. Uh, And he gave her freedom from her sickbed and from all the worries that come with serious illness. And if you think about it, what really could be more fitting than a child of God being given relief from pain and respite from burdens uh, and a true physical and spiritual rest than on the Sabbath, right? Uh, And Jesus himself was at rest too in the account of the healing at Peter's house because a church, his ability to heal was effortless. Uh, It wasn't work for him. It wasn't hard labor for him to be involved in showing God's mercy. There was only his compassion and his desire to show his love. It was Jesus' joy to heal. And so for him, the sacredness of the day is kept in the fullest extent of a day of peace and rest. Uh, And it's a good thing, too, because if you notice, as we read, uh, his work wasn't done yet, and his waiting room just got a whole lot more crowded, right? Because we read, uh, they brought to him all who were sick, and he healed all who were sick with various diseases. So now, like, dozens of people start showing up. Patients appear at the door of Peter's house, uh, and the next uh, text actually says the whole city was gathered, right? Try making that kind of last-minute appointment with your local provider. Right, And so even though the earthly sun had set, the sun of righteousness is continuing his work into the night, bringing the light of his presence uh, to everybody that came to him. And notice what a good doctor he is, how powerful, because the text says he healed all that were brought to him. Right? So, so his office isn't a specialist office. Right? He didn't just treat one particular kind of disease. He healed all that were sick, regardless of the disease, because church, his word and his touch are a salve for every sore that we experience. And, you know, with everything that's been going on this week, as sick as, as Vicky had been and as, as many of you have been, I'm thinking, you know, it sure would have been nice, baby, to have been around back then, huh? You know, you got an aching back, go, go see Jesus. Right, D? That would help, right? Bronchitis, right? Allergies, raging case of the Rona, right? Just, just run down and see Jesus. He'll heal you better than Humana, and he won't raise your premiums. Uh, And wouldn't we all love to get in on a little bit of that, right, on some of those healings? So we might be tempted to ask, well, what about us, Jesus? Uh, Why can't we have some of that today? I mean, did did Jesus go out of the healing business, right? Did he he close up shop? Uh, Because I know a few folks who could use a healing about now. And doesn't the Bible say that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? So, so what gives, right? Yes, it does say that. Jesus Christ is indeed the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's why I'm here to tell you, church, that Jesus comes today with healing just like he did at Peter's house. And don't worry, I'm not talking about becoming some kind of faith healer, right? Uh, the gentleman that came in this morning asked if we're Calvinists. Yes, we are Calvinists. I'm not going to walk around to smack anybody on the head. Uh, I can't go over to Florida Hospital and just clear the place out, right? I don't have that kind of power. But that still leaves us with the same question of why. 
why don't we experience the manifestation of some of those healing gifts? And as we talked about in Sunday school, some might say, well, it's because maybe I don't have enough faith. Or worse yet, I've heard people been told that maybe those sick people don't have enough faith to get healed. You guys ever heard anybody say that? And maybe if they'd only believed harder or if uh, maybe because they had unconfessed sin in their lives or maybe they weren't obedient enough. Maybe if they tried harder uh, or believed better, God would have given them healing. But church, that's an insidious lie for so, so many reasons. For one, none of us have to earn God's favor and we couldn't even if we tried. Uh, there's also the fact that those healing signs and wonders that took place in the first century through Christ and his apostles were for the primary purpose of confirming the message that they brought. And then now once we have God's word in written form, we have it written and codified, we don't need that extra stamp of authenticity that those miracles provide. Uh, and, and yet, sometimes we still get them, don't we? I mean, we've experienced it here where people that we know where God does a healing that we just have no explanation for. Doctors can't explain it. Doctors, they didn't affect it. Uh, it just happened like, like with Tori with the recovery that she's made. There's no natural explanation for it. We just, we prayed and God mercifully heard our prayer and that person was healed. But that doesn't always happen, does it? So, so how do we kind of, you know, pull together all those desperate facts uh, into a real-world answer to a very real question of what does the actual healing ministry of the gospel look like for today? What, what, what's the real deal with it in the whole spectrum from, you know, genuine miracles that we've experienced on the one hand to the charlatans, and, you know, on television on the other? Um, and just by way of a, a little sort of answer, I want to ask you guys a question. So think for a minute with me. If you take a minute to, to consider it, what happened to all those people that Jesus healed in his ministry back in Galilee? Whether it was, you know, Simon's mother-in-law or the crowds at sunset, all the rest. What, what do they all have in common? Thanks. Can you say that a little louder? Yeah, they all still died, didn't they? Those healings didn't last. They, they weren't permanent. None, none of those people are still physically with us today. Because all of those people who were healed, they would all sooner or later get sick with something else they'd all still have to die physically so physical healing can't be the whole point of what jesus was up to so so here's the deal this is important for understanding all the miraculous accounts of jesus in the gospels uh these healing signs church were, were signs and wonders pointing to the eternal kingdom of god that jesus was bringing the kingdom of heaven that jesus was bringing to earth pointing ahead to the ultimate healing that Jesus was in the process of accomplishing at the cross. Uh, and that ultimate healing was not limited to folks back in Jesus' day. It's for all of us. So for every one of us here today, there's healing. For every one of us today, Jesus has reached out to us in the fever of our sin because Jesus loves us. He loves me. Just as much as he loved all of those folks back then, we're at no disadvantage to the people who were physically healed in his ministry because as great uh, as those he healing miracles were, Jesus didn't heal any of those people just for the sake of making them better. Right? His intent went far beyond just supplying immediate physical relief uh, by actually dealing with the root problem that causes all of the misery and the illness and the heartbreak in this fallen world so that Jesus can gain the ultimate healing for us, the eternal healing by dealing with the root problem, uh, which is sin. 
right? And he did it by carrying those sins, our sins, in his body to the cross. Now listen for a minute what the prophet Isaiah said about this aspect of Jesus' ministry. Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 4, says, Surely he, meaning the Messiah, took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we're healed. And so what we're seeing here uh, is that Jesus was both meeting people's immediate physical needs for healing and fulfilling prophecy from uh, long ago from Isaiah about the suffering he'd have to endure to bring us that relief. And so prophecy about the wounds he would have to endure and the healing that those horrible but precious wounds would make available for us both physically and spiritually. Wounds he willingly accepted to give us access to the cure for every sin and sickness, for, for all the ones we're infected with. All those things that were handed down from our first parents, uh, in church those things are hereditary and, and they're incurable. All, all of us are infected with them. That's why Romans 5 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all sin. And so Jesus, our great physician, comes alongside of us today and he says, I've, I've got some bad news for you. A news that teaches us to look for that inner cause of sin. And he says, I've got a diagnosis for you. And it turns out uh, you've got a heart condition. He tells us that in Mark chapter 7. He says, what comes from inside that defiles you, for from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They're what defile you. And the Bible warns us as we get closer to the end that the sickness of sin is going to get worse instead of better. 2 Timothy 3 says, In those last days there will be very difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They'll consider nothing sacred. Sound like today? They'll be unloving and unforgiving. They'll slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and hate what's good. They'll betray their friends. Be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. Uh, and you know what? The folks inside church aren't immune to that either. Unless we get too uh, puffed up and boastful. First John 1 says, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. And he continues, if we claim we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Uh, and sadly, church, even our best intentions and good deeds are tainted by the disease of sin. That's why Isaiah 64 says we're all infected with uh, impure, with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they're nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, uh, we wither and fall, and our sin sweeps us away like the wind. And, you know, hearing all that can kind of get depressing after a while, right? But thankfully, that's not the end of the story because there is a cure. But it's not a generic route. It doesn't just come over the counter. The cure is brand only and there's no other way, there's no other prescription, there's no low cost alternative to bring it about other than the stripes and wounds and the blood and sacrifice of the Son of God. And church, not only is that unique and exclusive 
But Christ, our wonderful physician, works like no other doctor you'll ever see because he takes the sickness of his people upon himself. And he does it by bearing our sins and being wounded and bruised for us, willing even to suffer death itself for you and me. So do you know that kind of experience in your life today? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? That the curse is lifted? Do you know that means there's complete healing for you ahead? That there's resurrection ahead if you're in Christ? And it's forever. And church, it's as certain as Christ's own resurrection from the dead. And that promise is as good and as sure and as solid as the word we preach and the sacrament we partake in. And these ordinary means of grace that God uses as his delivery system for the good news, as his Holy Spirit dispenses the gift that Christ won for you at the cross, bringing forgiveness and life and salvation. And you don't have to make an appointment to go find out about it. You don't have to travel all around the county from office to office to get it. You can receive it right here today because Jesus, our great physician, is making house calls. And he's here. He's already here in with and under the elements that we're about to partake of so brothers and sisters i call on you today in his name repent and believe the gospel of the kingdom right now today and be healed will you pray with me god our father is truly right in our greatest joy always and everywhere to give you thanks and praise especially in this holy supper recalling that perfect sacrifice once offered on the cross by our lord jesus christ for the healing of the nations and we ask you lord uh, by the joy of his resurrection and an expectation of his coming again, that you unite us in your truth and love so we can confess your name and come sit together at one table. And so now, Lord, continue your transforming work in this time and this place, that eyes may be opened, that hearts may be radically changed by the good news of the gospel. And so remembering now your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we take from your creation this bread and this cup, and we ask you to pour out your spirit upon us and upon these your gifts that this meal may be for us a communion with our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.